0: So we're going to dive into the book of Malachi. So if you go to Matthew, in the New Testament, and you go back one book, we're at Malachi. Today we're going to talk about apathetic service and worship. It doesn't sound like a great sermon title, but hopefully by, our, by the end of our time together, we'll understand what God wants us to learn from the nation of Israel this morning. First thing we want to know that Malachi was the first Italian prophet. There's a story behind that; I'll share that with you. So, Pastor Dan Gilbert was a pastor at Mount Calvary when we attended there, and Pastor Dan um, was a Marine in Vietnam. And so he was a Christian, and so he would share Jesus, and guys would come to come to faith, and he would disciple them overseas. And so he would give the guys a Bible, and so he led to the Lord this little short Italian guy, gave him a Bible, and the next day he goes, Gilbert. Come here, uh, tell me about this Italian guy, Malachi. What's, what's the deal with him? He's in the Bible. He's got to be important. Well, okay, Malachi was not Italian. <laughs> it's just a joke, so good way of laughing. He is not. But isn't it interesting how people come to know Christ, and they just see things how they see it, and of course they get corrected. So here, the book of Malachi is very, very important It's a question and answer dialogue between God, as Eric said in in the worship set, between God and the nation of Israel. There's a proposition. God states his case. The children of Israel, their objection, they answer childishly to God, and then God reacts. See, this generation was corrupt. And, and we can go through the nation of Israel and we can understand there have been times where the nation of Israel was corrupt. This was one of those times. And here is why they were corrupted. Here are some of the things that was, were happening in their life that drew them away from God well they were worshiping foreign gods which led them to marrying foreign women And if we know anything about God's command with that the reason why he did not want the nation of Israel to marry foreign women was what because he knew exactly that the nation of Israel would start worshiping their gods well the nation of Israel started this again they were divorcing their wives for no reason they were not giving their best to God they were withholding tithes from God and to cap it all off, the priests, the leaders were corrupt and set a bad example for the nation of Israel. See, this generation was taking advantage of God and so many of his blessings and privileges. So this book is a warning from God to the nation of Israel. It's very interesting. The book of Malachi ends the Old Testament, and it doesn't end in a good way for the nation of Israel. You would think that there would be this last great book before this 400 years of silence, before Matthew, the book of Matthew, comes into play. But no, God has some serious things to say to the nation of Israel. Malachi is a minor prophet. There are 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament. Five are major prophets. Twelve are minor prophets. Now we say, what's the difference between major and minor? All it has to do is with the length of the book. It's not the importance of the person writing the book. It's just that Malachi had four chapters It's a minor prophet. A a book like Isaiah or Ezekiel with many chapters is a major prophet. So Malachi falls within the line of a minor prophet. His name means messenger. And we know nothing else about Malachi. That's it. He was a messenger of God who proclaimed this particular truth to the nation of Israel. Hundred years after Ezra and Nehemiah built it, rebuilt the temple and built the walls, God brought Malachi into the tail end of the nation of Israel before the intertestament period. Do you remember in the book of Daniel, Alexander the Great, the Grecian the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire? That all happened in this 400 years of silence. So, right as Malachi was ending, intertestament period happened. Malachi had to speak to this generation of Israelites. Whose parents came out of the captivity of Babylon. This was a generation that was apathetic and morally lazy. And Malachi was sent by God to challenge this group of people. They were unconcerned about their matters of their spiritual life. So let me just stop there a moment, and let's just pause a minute. So I, I share some of the things that were happening in the, what was happening in the nation of Israel. Can we too as Christians here thousands of years later be apathetic towards the things of God? What's the answer? That's right. There's times we can be lazy spiritually. And, and this, is what, this is where we're going to take a lesson. This is a, a history lesson of the nation of Israel of a particular period. But as the church, the church is not Israel, but the church can learn from what Israel went through. What are ways that we become apathetic in our faith? Well, think of a church. We can be apathetic towards doctrine and theology. We don't stand on the principles of God's word. We don't stand on certain th- doctrines or theology Say, You know, it's okay. We can believe that. It's, it's not that big of a deal. We start being lazy in our study of God's word. Sin. We don't deal with sin in our lives. We don't deal with sin in the church. We become apathetic. We become like the church of Thyatira who tolerated sin as we read in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 become apathetic in our practical living. We come to church, we hear a message, and we leave here, and we don't apply it. Now that's, I, I did my time, I paid my dues, I said hi to the people I need to say hi to, and I'm just going to go live my life. Or how about cultural issues? We, we kind of backtrack, we, we know what the Word of God says, we stand on truth, but the, in the area, particularly right now, what we're going through as a country, in the area of sexuality, we kind of like. well, does it really say that? We become apathetic. It's okay we too as Christians can fall in place and be apathetic and lazy in our spiritual walk to God. When you think of a church that was lazy or apathetic, I want us to turn to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. It's the the church of Laodicea we're going to start reading in verse 15. And this is, again, Revelation 2 and 3 is Jesus's, I like to call them, postcards to the church, his letters to the church, saying things that, that they've done well, but also giving them some admonition of things they need to do better or things that they're doing that are wrong. And here's what he says to the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot with that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, you're neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What is, what comes to mind when you think of laziness? Now, don't look at your husband's wives, okay? What's a picture that comes to mind when you think of lazy? I had a a guy I went to college with my freshman year. Remember Brian Link? Brian Link was a guy who uh, was... Lazy, meaning lazy like he slept all day lazy. I played basketball with him, and the only time he'd get up is to go to practice, and then go right back to bed. He would have these yellow, we had fines at our college. So they'd come and they'd check your room to make sure your bed was made. They'd check your room was cleaned. It was a Christian college, and they make sure you were at chapel. Well, he would skip chapel. He, you open the door, he'd, leave me alone, I'm sleeping. He's lazy. He got demerits. Never cleaned his room. I'm glad to say that he never finished college. <laughs> you can't finish college being that lazy or apathetic. When we think of that word. There's words hot and cold in Revelation three. Remember, remember we talked about that has nothing to do with okay. If I'm hot, that must mean I'm a on fire for God Christian. Or if I'm cold, I, I, I'm not that great of a Christian. No, it's about effectiveness. If I want something, when I'm cold and I want a hot cup of tea, since I don't drink coffee, right, Pastor Frank? <laughs> it's effective. It's doing its job. If I'm working out and I'm playing basketball on Saturday mornings, I want a cold drink. It's effective. It does my body well to drink a cold drink. The question I want to ask you is when we're apathetic and we're lazy, guess what? We are not effective for God. Amen? We're not effective when we're lazy and apathetic. And so as we, I want us to think about that with this nation of Israel. As we come into Malachi, this is where they were spiritually. And we can relate to them at times in our life where we are lazy. We are apathetic. We don't stand for things we need to stand to at times. We say things we shouldn't say. We act certain ways. We give God not our best. And we can learn a lot here from the nation of Israel. Fun fact, four for Malachi. There are 55 verses in the book of Malachi. Out of the 55 verses, 46 of those verses are spoken from God. So God had a lot to say to this nation. See, God calls them out. He calls for a people to respond, but they do not respond in a good way. Can you imagine that? The sovereign God of the universe is trying to get your attention for you to repent, for you to change, for you to walk in the right path of righteousness. And you respond sarcastically. You respond arrogantly and pridefully. Really, you're acting like a child. It reminds me of of a story of, of of a young woman who was giving birth to twins, and she told her brother that, I will let you help me name those twins. And so the twins were born, and so... The, 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 the mom says, Okay, brother, what will you name the girl? And he says, I want to name her Denise. Get it? Denise, Denise, right? Oh, I like Denise. Let's name Denise. Well, what are we going to name the boy? What did he say? The nephew. Child. So, so Morgan gets it. There you go. You laughed. It's your It's childish, right? Why? I don't know any guy named by the name of the nephew. If you're here, the nephew. I'm sorry. You're the first. Childish. But when we when we hear a story like that, it's he's like that's stupid. But the nation of Israel was a lot, God was reaching out to them for them to repent because they were acting in a childish fashion. So what we're going to do this morning before we jump into verse one, I want to look at the eight questions or the eight statements that God gave to the nation of Israel and then you will see Israel's response through the book of Malachi. There are eight propositional phrases, propositions that God gave the nation of Israel. Eight statements and Israel's response. Now I'm going to take the freedom in using a, a tone of how I think the nation of Israel may have responded to Malachi. It will annoy you, but it should because this is not how we respond to God. Malachi 1.2, the first statement. He says, I have loved you. Regardless of what they did, I have loved you. And what's Israel's response? How have you loved us? is that annoying? Yeah. Malachi 1.6, you despise my name. What's their answer? How have we despised your name? Malachi 1.7, you offered polluted food. How have we polluted... Food to you. Malachi 1:12, you profane it and pollute the Lord's table. And the reply is, Well, what weariness is this? Like, what's the big deal? Malachi 2, verses 13 and 14 says this, he no longer accepts this sacrifice. He no longer accepts this worship. And the nation of Israel responds, Well, why not? Malachi 2:17, he says, You have wearied the Lord. And they said to Israel, well, how have we wearied you? Are you getting annoyed with Israel at this point? Malachi 3.17, he says, return to me. And they ask, how do we return to you? And then out of order, I have Malachi 3.13, he says this, your words are hard against me. And they answer, how have we spoken against you? This is the response of Israel to God. Eight times. Think about it, if God came to you as a people, us as a church, you think after he came to you, you'd be like, okay, yeah, all right, God, how do we change this? Like, how do we fix this? But what are they doing? God, what do you mean? Like, they have no idea what's going on in their life. They are spiritually apathetic. So for the next four weeks, we're going to walk through some some key, uh, particular categories for the nation of Israel. Today we're going to talk about their ministry the ministry of sacrifice, their ministry of worship to God. Next week we're going to talk about marriage, what they were doing with their marriages as a nation at this time. The third week we're going to talk about their giving, their tithing, what they were tithing, they were ripping the Lord off. And then lastly, fourth week, we're going to talk about how this this Israel still has a future with God. Regardless of what they've done, God still loved them enough that He's going to remind them of their future. Aren't you glad for our future? in heaven for us that know Christ. So this morning, let's get into this category of ministry. We're going to look at Malachi 1 and we're going to start at verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord. Now let me pause there, circle that word oracle. That word oracle there in the Hebrews, means burden. You will see that in other prophets that have written in the Old Testament. This is a burden of the word of the Lord. The Lord is burden of what is happening here with the nation of Israel. Verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says... They may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever, your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. There's two things, I think, and through through these two chapters that God wants the nation of Israel to see. Number one is this. Our first application this morning is this. He wants them to remember. He wants them to remember. Remember what? Remember what he has done for them as a nation. Remember. God loved Israel in the past. And out of his providential care, out of his faithfulness, he has blessed this nation. Called out from Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Given into the land of milk and honey. And Malachi gives, actually God, God through Malachi gives this illustration of the Old Testament. What he did for them as a nation. See, centuries have come in God since the Lord has spoken to Israel through Malachi. But God still loves his people. So God had to have this generation remember what I have done for you. I hope that that phrase never comes out of our mouths. How have you loved us, Lord? How? And maybe through certain things in our life we may go, God, what, I, do you really love us? We have to remember that God has demonstrated his love for us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. He did this before the foundations of the earth. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Here it is. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Listen, we cannot peer into the, the, the eternity of the counsel of God's elective love. So where do we go? We go to the cross. We go to the cross where Jesus there paid our debt by putting the sin of all mankind, past, present, and future, on Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we be- may become what? The righteousness of God. Remember the day you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you remember? Do you remember the change? Do you remember the burden that was lifted? You see, God's trying to tell the nation of Israel, listen, look at what I've done for you in the past. Remember that I have loved you. Here, thousands of years removed, we're here under the age of grace and the church age, and guess what? We can say, we can look at the cross and say, God loves us. Remember the change in your life when you came to Christ. I love what John 15, 9 says. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me. See, sometimes Satan wants to get in our minds because we're going through circumstances and we truly wonder why if God loves us and why we're going through these things. And you know what we have to do in those moments when Satan tries to come in with condemnation and that God doesn't love us? You know what we do? We point back to the cross. We point back to the empty grave we say, yes, he does. Yes, he does. Brothers, I pray that we will always know in your life, regardless of what you're going through, that God loves you. That God loves you. So as we see here, he wants the nation of Israel to remember what he has done for them. Always remember what Christ has done for us. Number two, our second point of application is he wants the nation of Israel to evaluate, to evaluate what they are doing. Let's just start reading at verse 6, and we're going to come down and read through this text. A son honors his father and a servant his masters. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon the altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Look at verse 8, and this is where their issue is and where the Lord really addresses it with them. When you offer blind animal and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? God is asking this group of people, this, these Israelites, to evaluate what they're doing in their worship. Here was the issue. They were offering blind animals. They were offering lame and sick animals in their worship to God, in their sacrifice. Now, if we know anything about Israel, Israel's history, we understand in Exodus there was a, a rules that were set up, guidelines that were set up for worship. And there's one word that comes to mind we think of sacrifice to God, and the word is spotless, without blemish. And so when the nation of Israel would give the, give the, their, their animals to for sacrifice, guess what? There wasn't a blemish on it. It was the best of the flock. There, well it was not sick. It was not lame. Can you see? Where the problem is with God in the nation of Israel. The the word without blemish, that phrase is found 104 times in the Old Testament, has to do with sacrifice. In the New Testament, if you read 1 Peter 1.19, it says this, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish. In the New Testament, it's found 11 times, and every time it references, guess who? Jesus Christ. Because he was the final sacrifice, as it says in Hebrews, once and for all the final sacrifice, without blemish. I love what God says in this text. He says, would you present this to your governor? Listen, here, you're giving me this, the seconds, your thirds, the cripples, the blind. You're giving me this sacrifice. Would you present this to your governor? Would you give it to them? Let me ask this question. Let's pause a minute and let's look at our lives today. And we, we may sit there and say, why would you give God that? That's just not right, right? But we do. In our time and our energy and our money, we give God our seconds. We give God our thirds. And then sometimes we give God our fourths. We're no different than the nation of Israel here in the area of our giving our best to God. How about our time? We're busy doing this. We're busy doing that. Good things, not bad things. But what then comes the end of the day. Okay, God, I'm going to open a daily bread and I'm going to give you two minutes of my day. Is that our first? Nothing wrong with the daily bread. Nothing reading it before you go to bed. But what have you done all day? Is that our best in time? How about our energies and area of church ministry and serving? Yeah, I just got a lot going on this week, Pastor Jay. You don't understand. Well, I do understand. Listen, I'll try to make it here. I'll try to get, if I can sneak it in the time. You are giving God your second and your third. We are no different than the nation of Israel here. How about our money? You get your check and you look at your bills. You look at the things you want to get. You got your kid's soccer. You got your kid's tuition. You got this stuff, blah, 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 blah. And you get to the end of it and you got five bucks left. All right, God, here you go. You're giving them your seconds. You're no different. You're no different. We're no different. This, 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 this rocked my world this week, brothers and sisters. I looked, it's like, wow, I've been guilty giving God my seconds and my thirds. I can remember a few years ago, I asked for us to redecorate the youth room. And I, in error, asked the church, hey, if you have anything left over in your basement, you know, couches, give it to us, maybe we'll put it in the basement. I, I didn't know that I was going to get couches that your cat lived in for 10, 15 years. But that was my bet. That was my bed. I think of, I think she's watching online, Helen Farrell. I think of Helen, and she's involved with our food pantry. And one thing Helen does, Helen buys new stuff. I help her unload it here. And she comes in, we load it, in. it's brand new, like she was going shopping for ourselves. But what do we do sometimes? Food pantry, okay, I'm going to go through my cabinet. Okay, expiring tomorrow, already expired. Okay, we're going to give that to the food pantry. Is that our first Is that our first? Think about it. We're no different than the nation of Israel at times in our life. See, ministry for us means serving. It's giving our all with our abilities and our privileges that God has given us. I think there's two types of ministries that we see in our lives. We have horizontal ministry, which is serving one another. Our spiritual gifts, we're serving one another. We're caring for one another. We talked about that in Romans chapter 12. We're caring. We're loving one another. We're doing life together. We're using our gifts. Horizontal ministry. Then there's the vertical ministry, that ministry you have with your Heavenly Father. How are you walking? What what are you talking like? How How is He running through you in your life and how you see things and how you say things and how you talk with people? Is your vertical ministry in tune with your horizontal ministry? And it should be. Church, let's evaluate what we're doing for the Lord and why we are doing it. Think about, are you offering your best to God each and every day? Are you offering the first? Or are you offering the second, the third, and the fourth? Sometimes we become complacent. We become apathetic in our life. And we give God what's left over. Church, I, I just want to just say this to all of us. Stop giving God our leftovers. Stop giving God our leftovers. Let's give him our best. We don't want to be considered apathetic and lazy towards our gifts and abilities to God. But if we go to Malachi chapter 2, so the issue was the giving and, and the nation of Israel was this is how they were sacrificing, giving their seconds. But guess what? And it's not, not an excuse for them. Guess who they were following? They were following their leaders. They were following the priests. Look at Malachi 2, start at verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Now, here's where it gets a little... God's in their face right now. This is not a a pretty picture. Let me prepare you for that. He says this, Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offerings, and spread dung on your faces, and the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. E you know, when we understand refuse and, and dung in the in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and there was before there was sewage, before all those things, it was taken out of town, discarded away. And what is God saying here to these priests? Listen, because you are doing this, and you are not giving me your best, and because this is happening, I'm discarding you. I'm gonna put dung on your face. This is what I think of you and your offering. Can you imagine being, that being said to us from God? I'm discarding. I'm putting you out of the city. I don't want you. You're done. I don't want your worship. And here is what he is telling them. Miles Bennett writes this, the defiled priest, unfit for the man of duty, will be carried off and deposited with the dung of the city, the dumping grounds. This is what happened. This is what the picture God was getting across to the nation of Israel. This is what I think of your offering. I want us to go to verse 4 in chapter 2. God reminds the priests here of what was set up for the Levite, for, for the Levitical priests, for the, the tribe of Levi here. And let's go to verse 4. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Okay, he has a covenant with Levi. Levi, the, Le- the, 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 Levitical, pri- the Levitical priests, the, the tribe of Levi, they were responsible for the worship and the sacrificial system in Israel. Verse 5, my covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in all of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. He's talking about this is what the Levitical priests, this is what they did through the history of Israel. (laughs) You're not doing that right now. This is what they did. This is what they were set up to do. This was their job. Look at verse 7. For their lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts, but you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despise and abase before all people. Do you think God's a little upset with the nation of Israel here? This is some strong language. The things we've got to get a picture of how God feels about sacrifice and how it feels about worship for Him. See, this flippant attitude towards God and his service that these Israelites were performing, it was affecting them and the nation. And so as we think about this particular text, this is talking about priests, and and we can use it as pastors, we can use it as leaders, but I want to take it a step further. How are you showing in your home, parents, how are you showing in your home that you give God your best? How are you showing at home that God is number one in your family? Husbands, how are you showing that your home is a God-honoring home? How are you showing it? Do you know, well, you can look at the statistics, but more pastor's kids and deacon's kids and, and, and church leader's kids, when they get to the point of choosing their faith or if they're going to follow through with it, guess what? They're gone. They walk away from their faith. Why? Because I believe they watch parents treat christianity as a profession what i mean by that i go to church i do my thing sing raise my hands give my money but at home act totally different see the nation of israel here were following priests who should have been discarded they were not the example they needed to be for god's people what kind of example are we in our life In the area of our sacrifice, in the area of our our giving, in the area of giving to God our time, our energy, our money, what do people see? What do our children see? What do you see of us as leaders? What do you see? Are we doing a good job? Do we need to be scolded? Please do. We need to set an example of what it looks like to give God our best. See, as we close this generation of Israelites apathetic and they were lazy. Reminded us, reminds me of the wilderness generation. They were complaining. They were ungrateful. They were following God in their heart, they said, but they really, some of them wanted to go back to Egypt. Church, as God reminded the nation of Israel, we need to remember what he has done for us. Do you remember when we talked a few weeks ago about Romans chapter 12? And we said that there's this outline of uh, the book of Romans, very simple. We were condemned, Romans 1 through 3, we were depraved, we were sinful, we were wicked. Therefore, because of Jesus, we're justified, just as if we've never sinned. Therefore, because we're justified and God sees us as holy and righteous and blameless, therefore now we are exonerated. We will never pay for the price of sin, amen? Because of Jesus, one person agrees with that. And therefore, because of that, the most reasonable service, as it says there in Romans chapter 12, the most logical thing to do, logikos is that Greek word there, reasonable service, the most logical thing for us to do is what? Commit ourselves to God and serve God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, God was trying to get... Hold of this nation, and say, listen, you need to return to how it was set up with the with the Levitical priests. You need to go back and remember, this is what your job is. You are to set an example, and you were to be righteous and upright. And they were failing in that area. I want, I want to close with this one verse in New Testament. First Corinthians 15, 58, Paul was telling the church at Corinth this Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding. I want you to circle that word, abounding, in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know what that word abounding means in the Greek? It means to exist in abundance, to do more than what is expected. Always doing more than was expected in the work of the Lord. Think about that a moment maybe some of our mindset is this like i just going to give god just what's left over okay like get... always giving over and above to god in our time energy and our giving that's what god wants and it says we should want to do that because of who god is so how are you doing in your in your in your horizontal ministry are you giving of yourself and time energy serving god with others using your gifts and abilities with others how about your vertical ministry with God? When you wake up in the morning, are you giving him the time? Do his name? Are you giving him time that you can meet with him and pray to him so he can show you what you're going to do throughout the day and how you can rely on him? He should be the first thing, the first thing that we do in the morning is, is get up in the morning and we got, hey, good morning, God. What would you have me do today? Lord, I want to serve you. Open doors for me. Make him the first thing you think about when you step out of bed in the morning. That shows that you're giving God your best. So church, remember what Christ has done. Number two, evaluate. Why do you do what you do? Why are you involved with church stuff? Why are you doing it? Is it just to get a pat in the back? Is it just to, I'm here, it's just a good fun, fun thing to do on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or whatever ministry you're involved with. Are you doing it because you want to give back to God your best because of what He has done for you. Church, I would hate for God to ever say, um, Your service disgraces me because it all comes from the heart. I'll be honest with you. There's going to be some things that I did in my life that I'm not getting a reward for because I did it with the wrong motives. I stand before that judgment seat of Christ. There's going be things that I did that were good. But my heart was not there with the wrong motives. I want to encourage us that we do things with the right motives, giving ourselves to God, giving our best to God, not like the nation of Israel here. And so as we serve the Lord this week, let's think about that. What, how, what are you giving to God? Are you giving him your first? Or are you giving him your best? I pray that we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have to come and just say some hard things this morning. Lord about our lives and how we need to serve you and give you our best in every area head bowed and eyes closed I want you to think for a few moments just how you've been doing in this area I know I did this week are you giving your best to God are you giving him your first in your time, in your energy, in your giving. We're going to talk about tithing in a couple weeks, about our giving. How are we giving to God? Giving is not just paying your dues for church. It's, it's to God, for God to use it in His ministry here at Faith Bible. But just I just want you to think about your time and your, your energy right now. Is it your best? Is it your first See, we don't have a sacrificial system anymore. Jesus paid for that once and for all, as we said. But as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, our bodies, our energies, our times. So what are you offering to God? Are you doing it for the right reason? Are you doing it because you want to serve God and you want God to be proud of you? Brothers and sisters, we want to hear at the end of our life we stand before God, that's the phrase, well done now, good and faithful servant. So this week, let's think about how we can give God our best and give him our first. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. Give us a great day as we serve you in your precious name. Amen. Let's all stand up together and let's sing uh, the fathers of the...